I miss the earth. I miss my wife. It's lonely out in space on such a timeless flight. And I think it's going to be a long, long time till touchdown brings me round again to find I'm not the man they think I am at home. Oh no, I'm not the man they think I am. I'm a rocket man. Burning out his fuse up here alone. All this science I don't understand. It's just my job till touchdown brings me down. I'm not the man they think I am. I'm a rocket man. Brought to you by WKTV, I'm Wayne Thomas. Welcome to our forum in search of paranormal possibilities. Please keep an open mind and join the conversation at your own risk with our panel of ghost hunters and ghost busters and our special guest, William Konkoleski. But before we get started with the conversation, I always like to thank Gene Gregory at the controls. He'll be the one flying the ship today. So <laughs> I know I asked for seat belts on these seats, and I think uh, we might need the seat belts uh, tonight when we blast off. And then uh, also, I'd like to thank our previous guest, uh, Casey Chase and Sophia Maslowski. They shared their ghost stories with us. Um, they, it's personal experiences, so they were brave enough to do that. We learned a new phrase. Ghost bumps. Yeah. So I like that. Yeah. I'm going to use that without a doubt. And then the point that they made, at the end we do our final thought. So the point that they made for their final thought was, you are not crazy. And that's because hauntings are more common than what you might think. But let's meet our panel and blast off. Okay. Uh, my name is Kim Colleen, and I'm from Holland, Michigan. I am the president and founder of the Tulip City Ghostbusters. My name is Brian Jose. I'm a paranormal investigator with Kent County Paranormal. Uh, just to talk a little bit about Bill, um, this is what we know about him. Um, State Director of Mutual UFO Network, MUFON for short, world's largest civilian UFO research research organization, author of Experiencer, Raised in Two Worlds, as we can see right on the table here. Bill's abduction experiences chronicled in sci-fi documentary, Abduction Diaries, DVD documentary, Abducted by Aliens, UFO Encounters of the Fourth Kind, ABC News special, UFO Seeing is Believing, Consultant to History Channel Hangar, UFO Hunters. And finally, Science Channel's Uncovering Aliens Close Encounters. Now, is that a complete list, Bill? I know. No, no, there's more than that. I thought maybe. Um, Hangar One was uh, the name of uh, MUFON's own TV show. So it was, it's the name of that show was Hangar One. And then um, there was... A show out of Canada, Close Encounters, that I that I work with, and gosh, I'm trying to think of the other. I was on ABC's uh, Seeing Is Believing with Peter Jennings. I don't know stuff. Mm -hmm. Peter Jennings, that's a big name. Yeah, mm -hmm. it is. Now I didn't get to meet him. I just they filmed me at the MUFON conference, and I got worked into the oh, production that way. But they never had you uh, consult for the X Files. No, no, not the X Files themselves. No. Now, what's funny is I think you kind of parallel Mulder <laughs> on the X-Files. Your story in the book here kind of. Now, in in the X-Files, it was his sister that was oh, yeah. the experiencer. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get into the definition of that that word, the experiencer, and how you used it. I actually used it in the last podcast because you said it's kind of a universal term. You know, if a person experiences paranormal, then they're an experiencer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a normal person going through their life, you know, completely normal, average life, but every once in a while some unusual things happen to them, and they experience them, they go through them, and to define a person by what happens to them um, rather than who they are at their core is, you know, it's probably not the best way to, yeah. Yeah, to, to think of somebody. Uh, if uh, something happens to somebody that they can't explain, 
Uh, they it's unexplainable to the person that's happening too. So you can't say you're crazy. You you know you're talking about this experience you had, and the person who had the experience is like, I had this crazy thing happen to me. I'm not crazy. I'm glad you're using that word crazy mm -hmm. because oh. that's something that we talk about on this show. Is <laughs> because when you see a ghost, you know it's the kind of thing too. They don't want to come forward and let people know because they're afraid they're gonna think they're crazy. Right. Now Brandon and I saw you last night on one of your presentations at the Ransom Library in Plainwell and you did UFOs over Michigan. Mm -hmm. That was very informative. Um, you kind of did a, a math equation for us mm -hmm. with all the planets and the moons and all the galaxies times that. You pretty much said alien life is statistically mm -hmm. inevitable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I could I could run through the whole thing. I know. No, no, I mean, I, you lost me. I don't, what was don't you got the sex trillion or something? And I'm like, what is the, the grand total? Uh, okay, here we go. One hundred sextillion potentially habitable planets or moons out there in the universe. So I did remember something from that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I wasn't sleeping. I was in the front row. I was I was wide awake. It was really interesting, and it was a it was an older crowd there. And I, they had some good questions at the end, too. I mean, they talked about some of the people that you looked up to in the industry, and mm -hmm. apparently not a lot of them are still alive, mm -hmm. the ones mm -hmm. that you uh, were mentored or were mentors for you. Mm -hmm. When I got into it, which was 26 years ago, is when I joined MUFON, and I had the, the wonder of all of these great mentors and people to really get me into the organization and, uh, you know, give me something to look up to. And, you know, and, you know, unfortunately, yeah, they're all either past or, you know, don't have much time left on this earth. And I'm not the little kid anymore that they, they look down to that, that was all bright eyed and everything. And, you know, now I'm doing my best to try to hopefully inspire other people to get involved because that's, that's a real big thing, you know. Doing a lot is fun, but having a lot of people join you to look into the UFO mystery is, is even better. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think more people need to be involved, and that's actually that's going to be my final thought. But I'm going to save that for the end. <laughs> but getting people involved, I mean, in all these faces of the paranormal, you know, if you experience something, uh, don't keep it to yourself. But like I say, I'm getting into my final thought. I don't really want to do that. Um, I, where do you want to blast off to? I mean, it's your show. I know you're, there's so much you can talk about. We can go right into the book if you want. I have plenty of notes on the book. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, I, uh, anybody who's seen me at a library presentation, I generally don't discuss my personal stuff. There's so much uh, in the way of Michigan's UFO history or exciting new cases out there or other things that um, if they want to come to a library and hear those uh, presentations, I think that would be the best way to go about hearing some of that information. So the personal stuff that's happened to me, which again, I rarely share when I'm in a library environment because it's a little bit beyond, I think, what most people come to, to see in a, in a UFO presentation. I think a lot of people, when they come to a UFO presentation at a library, they're not really UFO enthusiasts or really deep into the phenomena, knowledgeable about the phenomena, they're just like, oh, UFOs, that sounds interesting. Let me find out a little bit about it. And if I was to, to lead off with when I was two years old, a little gray guy came into my room and stared at me, you know, at the edge of my crib, I think a lot of people would say, oh, maybe I've, you know. <laughs> I could get up and walk out <laughs> at that point. Yeah, this is a little bit beyond, uh, you know, what I thought I was getting into for this, so. Oh, it shook me up a little bit. I'll, I'll say that, and that's, Bill's talking about, he starts out at two years old, they just said hello to you. At four years old, it was a play date. At seven years old, it was a physical exam. Mm -hmm. At nine, year old, nine years old, you saw a sighting, a zigzagging star, and actually the OBE, which we, I know Brandon wants to get into that, the out-of-body experience. And then from 14 to 19, it was the unwanted out-of-body experiences. Mm -hmm. And you talked about how it's invasive and they, how they were judgmental. I mean, some of these adjectives that you used, it's like, uh, like say it was scary to me, nasty, you know, terrifying, powerful, menacing, uh, invasive, om ominous. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it, it scared me really to think that you grew up like that. And I mean, were your parents concerned? Well, in my family, it uh, phenomena um, is on my mom's side, comes from my mom's side of the family. And so there is a lot of unusual things that happen on that side of the family that even before I was born, um, there were experiences in the family that um, were in a broad range of paranormal. I mean, we besides just uh, the alien thing, uh, there was also poltergeist activity and actual apparitions that were seen and a lot of psychic phenomena and other things along those lines. When I was little, they would listen to me when I would talk about, my family would listen to me when I talked about my experiences, but they rarely gave back and said, oh, these other experiences that had happened in the family. I'm sure they didn't want to color my experiences, make me overly afraid. They were there supportive, they listened, they didn't doubt. And when I got old enough, they said, okay, you know, we're gonna share some other things that have happened in the family. Oh, that's interesting, because it seems like that stuff <clears throat> does run in the family. We've discussed that before, and uh, yeah, it's spooky stuff. Now, just the house that you grew up in, or are you talking about experiences before the house? I know the house you grew up in, you said, possibly had ghost activity. Yeah, um, I lived in that house until I was 21, I think, if I remember right, maybe 22, and the entire time I was there, strange things happened. My older brother did actually see a full apparition, glowing blue, pass through his room. He said the room got ice cold. And this being, well, this, you know, outline of what looked to be somebody possibly Native American had that sort of vibe to it, passed through the room, sort of this spectral blue and went out through the wall. And he said what made it even stranger, he was, listening to uh, records in his room while he was in there. And it was uh, Jimi Hendrix's version of the Star Spangled Banner was playing when this ghost came through. (laughs) So what an experience, huh? And every time, of course, he hears that song now, he thinks of that. Yeah, that's... (laughs) Where was your house, Bill? Uh, In Sterling Heights. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't in any sort of secluded area. It was along a major road and... um, yeah, it's, I mean, if you look at the house, you would say that not quite the likely candidate for unusual, you know, hauntings and other, or for aliens to come right. undetected, but it was just right out there, and but and yet still, hmm. a lot of things happened there. And then even when I moved out, the experiences continued, so it's not really tied well, to the tied house. wasn't tied to the house. No. Yeah, because yeah. I, you know, I questioned last night when I met you, is that, could it be a possibility of a combination Maybe some of it was ghost activity, and then the other was alien. I think I, I, I think I mean, that it's certainly possible. I think that once you have one type of paranormal phenomena happen to you, then it unlocks this sort of portal for other things to come mm-hmm. through. You've basically flipped the switch or thinned the right. veil or you know whatever sort of analogy you want to use. But if you have one type of experience, other types of experience certainly can follow, and uh, and in some cases um, are almost to be expected if you have somebody who's a, a lifelong experiencer. Uh, in terms of the alien phenomena, then they're often going to get poltergeist or ghost activity too. I remember <coughs> speaking about ghosts. A friend of mine had passed. Uh, now. Um, it was over 10 years ago now. He passed from cancer, unfortunately, and he was only in his 40s. And he was in a coma, uh, and he was about to pass. And I remember him being in my room and being awoken to see this shaft of light at the foot of my bed. And when I looked at it, it was just a simple shaft of light. They had no definition or anything, but I knew it was my friend David. And uh, he says to me telepathically, he's says, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and whatever kills you makes you stronger. Ah. I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's heavy, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, and then the, the light faded and, and disappeared, and I knew it was him, and I thought that he had passed, but come to find out he didn't pass until the next day. But other people who were friends with him also had experiences 
with him that same night. Oh my gosh. <coughs> Almost like he was going on a farewell tour right. while he still had some sort of ties to the physical world. Key wow. word you said was telepathic. I know you talked in the book about how you, the aliens seem to have a telepathic ability. And then that's something that we've noticed with ghosts. They seem to know. They know you're coming. They know your name when you get there. And you've had your name. You heard your name. At, yeah. I'm not sure what age that was. That was... 15 or 16, yeah. And that's, that's when the stuff really started getting creepy in your early teens, mm -hmm. I believe. And that's when you had the OBE, out-of-body experiences. And I know that's something that Brandon wants to hear more about. So, And see, the thing for me is that I don't believe that their natural form is physical. I believe that when people see these gray entities in a physical form, they're almost like puppets that uh, at some point the species evolved to a point <coughs> pardon me, where they were able to pull their consciousness out of physical form and then could just plug it into physical form when they needed it. So uh, in situations where the entities, if they need to have um, communication or possibly give some education or in some way just interact <coughs> pardon me, with the uh, experiencer, but not need to necessarily take them away physically. They do it on an, as sort of an astral form. They, out of body, they pull the person out of body or visit them while they're dreaming or something along those lines because otherwise, and in some cases it is definitely physical, but if they don't need to have to find some place to land the UFO, hide it, switch off the right or wrong people, you know, and then... Um, make sure that the, everything goes perfectly, then <coughs> if they don't need to actually take somebody physically, why go through all that hassle? Just do it on a out-of-body state. I hope if they visit me, they take the form of Marilyn Monroe. Hmm. <laughs> not Because not not you described them. There's, there's some things you say that you don't know, and, and in the book it's like where they come from. You don't know why they're here. You do know... It's on their terms, and you have descriptions of them, uh, three foot, five foot, mm -hmm. and seven foot. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and there's a hierarchy, is how, how you describe in the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the little ones, the three foot ones, tend to be the worker drones, the ones that go out and, and do the missions, and they have a very interesting sense of time, where it's always... The, they are so locked in the moment, in the present, that you can't ask some questions about the past or the future. It's even, it oh. almost seems like they don't understand what you're talking sure. about. And the taller grays, the five-foot ones, seem to have a better uh, way of uh, understanding us. It seems like they get us and they're able to talk, uh, again, telepathically, but have a conversation with us more in a way that seems to understand who we are it's much closer to us than the little grays and then the the ones that i saw that were seven foot were the mantis beings right. very scary right. and called mantis beings because sure enough they look like a giant praying mantis and it seems like they're the ones that sort of oversee everything at least in my personal experience right um, that other was the authoritative type mm -hmm. the one uh that i saw i remember just it had such intense energy, and it seemed so malevolent. But it, to me, I, I just wonder if it's simply because its energy was so strong that my presence, my, you know, my spiritual energy or physical energy just couldn't um, be around anything that strong without being, without it messing me up. It was a very, very powerful energy coming off this thing. And then you describe the, the five-foot ones as having black or blue eyes. Their eye color actually change. And yeah. Very large eyes. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if there's any correlation in nature to um, any species of anything on Earth being able to change its eye color. I mean, octopi can do all sorts of crazy things with camouflage, so why couldn't some other species somewhere else be able to change its eye color? Yeah, it's black eye color. Uh, it seems to be the standard eye color, but it can do this trick, if you will. It's a, a mesmerizing trick 
where it switches on its eyes to this bright backlit cerulean blue, almost like a police siren blue. And it just, it's, uh, you know, it numbs you. It just puts you in this state like everything's cool, you know. Hmm. So if it was a predator and had that effect, you know, I'm sure that it would be some way to catch its prey. But luckily all it did was cut my arm and, and leave it. Oh, I, I didn't, now that, I didn't see that in the book. Cut your arm. Is that in the book? Yeah, that was uh, when I was seven. That happened to me. Oh, right, and you still have the scar. I do. Um, not that it's super visible, but eh, <laughs> show my gun. Sure enough, I can see the scar. <laughs> I can see it. Yeah. And you have no explanation for mm -hmm. that. Did yeah. you have to get stitches? <clears throat> mm -mm. Oh, okay. It healed on the spot. Oh so, God. yeah, so, uh, so as you're unfamiliar with the story, the Grace, uh, little Grace brought me on board, and... Um, giving sort of an edited version of the story, I ultimately got ushered into a room and put into something that was like a dentist's chair. Okay. And uh, the being, the five-foot-tall gray said, be really good and you get to see the color blue. And I'm like, you know, the, okay. you know, obviously these aliens don't understand little kids. Right. You know, give me a sucker or a sticker or something like that. Right. Yeah, whatever, um, <clears throat> to make light of it, I guess. But so then um, I was watching the being and all of a sudden I felt a sharp pain across mm -hmm. my arm and sure. I look down and I see a slit on my arm I don't know what caused it so I look and but I see it healing as I'm watching it it's healing up and I don't know what made it heal up as I was watching it hmm. so then I look back up at the being and the eyes of the being changed from black to that bright blue Interesting. and it was a treat of sorts it didn't make me calm and relaxed and everything hmm. and then I was out of there um, <clears throat> Woke up in bed the next morning, um, saw the scar was still there. Yeah. And later that day, I was playing in my backyard with a friend across the street who was six. And we were climbing trees just in the backyard. And this white mist rolls through the backyard. He still remembers it as well. Oh um, this, this cloud just comes into the backyard. And it has sort of a cool effect, almost like a smoke machine at a concert type of mist. And uh, he didn't see the little gray being in the mist, but I certainly did because it came right up to me and it telepathically asked me if I was all right. Kind of like, you know, after we did this stuff to you yesterday, are you okay type of a thing? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, good. And then the cloud rolled into the neighbor's yard with the little gray being in it, and then it kept going. Now you said the wow. in the book you said the mist kind of had an awareness like it, it had a consciousness or something. Oh, certainly. The way it was able to move, you know, to be able to control a mist. You know, I don't know um, the way that people talk about nanotechnology now and being able to control little tiny things. Maybe it's possible to be able to remote control a cloud yeah, at some point in the future with enough effort. But, yeah, there was that being certainly within it that was, you know, very conscious of what was going on and right. possibly extended its awareness to the cloud to be able to make the cloud move with it. The spooky stuff. You know, we got another member here now. Um, Ryan Mason is here, so he can join in on the conversation. With that the speaker. Stuff in the here. Ryan Mason, attorney at law, had to work today. Fresh out of the courthouse. Somebody yeah. has to work. I know, right? <laughs> Too uh, hard. But all right. Thank you for, for letting me in still. Yeah, Ryan brings uh, some experience. Uh, he, we, we all, the three of us anyway, hunted ghosts together. And I think Ryan's got a knowledge of the field of paranormal that extends beyond just ghosts. So I think that's why he wanted to set in mm -hmm. on this. Bill Konkoleski, UFO expert, <laughs> the uh, head of the Michigan State MUFON. Mm -hmm. That's got to be a busy job. And you talked about how big MUFON is. It's worldwide. Yeah, we're in 43 countries. I think we currently have about 3,500 members. Um, in Michigan, we have uh, consistently about 100 members for as long as I can remember. And so... Yeah, we have a strong state chapter, and 50 years now, MUFON's been around. Uh, May 31st was our 50th birthday, so 
And yeah. Michigan is a big state <coughs> for the, the number of sightings. I didn't know it was that high because my research, I had it at about 18, but you say it's like top five or something. Uh, so the states were the number of occurrences of UFO sightings. Yeah, if you track uh, MUFON's internal um, placement, you'll see that uh, in terms of um, the sightings reported to us uh, compared to other MUFON chapters, we're always right up at the top. Yeah, that's Michigan is just loaded. I mean, we've got the Dog Man, we've got and Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of reports of sightings. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, in this state, we got a lot going on in the paranormal. I don't know. There's something there. Maybe that veil, like you say, is getting thinner and thinner. You talked about it. Like Brandon, the more times he goes on a ghost hunt, the better he can see through that veil. Mm -hmm. you know, it's mm -hmm. like the, or the veil's coming down. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's coming down all over the place and it's, it's more activity. I know on your presentation, you said there's certain years when the sightings picked up yeah. due to the Chinese lanterns, mm -hmm. and then later on, drones. with the drones. Yeah. Yep, so it's never a dull moment when you look into the phenomena. We can always, uh, even on a year where we're not doing so hot and being able to identify everything, we're still good for identifying at least 80% of what people report to us. And debunk it. Um, well, just, you know, politely explain to people. I hate the word debunk. It's such a, uh, an ugly word. Yeah. But um, people think they see something anomalous, and we explain to them why it is, why it isn't what they think it is. And sometimes people are happy and satisfied about that, and other times they're not happy because they think they truly experienced something, you know, wondrous, yeah. and we have to, you know, let them know that sure. it wasn't what they thought. Same thing with ghost hunting. When you have to tell a client, no, I don't believe you have anything supernatural in the house. Like you say, some of them are relieved, but then some of them are saying, well, why are these things happening? Maybe I am crazy. Hmm. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, I don't know whether that's good or bad. Now, I know Michigan, March 8th, 1994. Ryan, you remember, does that ring out? 1994, the, the sightings that we had on the west here on west michigan see that's a big one for me mm -hmm. because it was like it was kind of like i don't know if you buy into the uh, michigan triangle do you buy into that at all depending on which triangle you you're describing i've i've heard three different types of uh three different areas described as the great lakes triangle one is actually in lake erie one is in Lake Michigan, and then there's a version where somebody can creatively draw a triangle around all of the Great Lakes. But <clears throat> um, a friend of mine, Cheryl Carter, who is uh, putting out a book about uh, portal areas, she's including her thoughts on Lake Michigan being a triangle area. And uh, I do the foreword for her book. I'm not sure when it'll be out, but I mean, I do acknowledge that strange thing, obviously, strange things happen there. And I will say it's true that strange things happen, you know, all sorts of places everywhere. Um, if you have an affinity for water and the, those type of phenomena that happen on water, then I think her book would be a, a good, uh, you know, here I am plugging a book. Yeah, but, well, um, good. But, I, but that's I, what we like to yeah, do on this yeah. show, mm -hmm. plug books. That's why we got your book up here. That's something that's we're promoting is like, especially people that write about Michigan mm -hmm. and this area and then... Yeah, local authors. We want to plug you guys, mm -hmm. without a doubt. I would stop short at saying that there's a UFO base under Lake Michigan. Nobody really talks about that that's really deeply into the phenomena and is from around here. But, you know, certainly seeing strange things. Uh, you know, it's easy to see um, a lot more of the sky when there isn't any buildings or uh, light pollution around. Clearly, you're going to be able to see more. And then if you're in a situation where you could be targeted by some sort of paranormal force, you know, it's, you know, obviously you're going to be an easy target if you're out in the middle of nowhere, like on a lake. Yeah, and you can see a lot farther. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of stuff uh, is happening in the lake. Apparently, if you can, you know, buy into the all the monsters that might be in the lake, the, mm -hmm. the history that's there. But... In the 
1994, it was like um, it was reported by police, meteorologist. It wasn't mm -hmm. just you know some drunk that thought he saw something. It wasn't a hallucination. It was hundreds of people. Yeah, over three hundred, over three hundred witnesses reported UFOs in and around March of '94, and <clears throat> March 8th was the biggest night. Um, considered to be the biggest night because uh, of the sheer number of witnesses that night, um, including a family of four, the Graves family, that reported um, seeing a giant disc behind their house with glowing lights around it. The police showed up, and uh, the officer that was there was watching it as well, saying that, you know, that what they saw was exactly what he saw too. And the police then called the National Weather Service, and they were actually tracking large objects on their weather radar, and the weather radar isn't built to detect aircraft, it's to, built to detect weather patterns. So if anything is visible on their radar for any length of time, then that means that's some sort of substantial thing that's hanging out there in the sky that they're able to, to track it, which they did. And then at one point um, when the National Weather Service radar operator Jack Bushong was watching, um, he said that they zipped out um, over Lake Michigan at a speed he guesses to be about 3,000 miles an hour. And they didn't show up in Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin. They just went out over Lake Michigan, and who knows if they went up, down, disappeared. But I wanted to gone. ask you about that in the presentation last night, but I didn't mm -hmm. want to interrupt you. Mm -hmm. 3,000 miles an hour. Do mm -hmm. we have things that go 3,000 miles an hour? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if we do. It would create uh, quite the sonic boom if it did. Yeah, I guess you're breaking more than the sound barrier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what gets me is, you know, science says that it is statistically inevitable and also imminent. In, in other words, it's, it's about to happen. And they say, but there's not enough proof. I say BS. There's mm -hmm. all kinds of proof. When, when someone sees a UFO, it's like hundreds of people seeing it. If you see a ghost, it's usually one person sees right. it, and then that's it, and there's nobody else to even substantiate it for you. But mm -hmm. with the UFO phenomena, there's hundreds of people, thousands. You know, you have thousands of people that report stuff every year, don't you? Sure, yeah. In Michigan alone, we have a couple hundred sightings a year reported to our just our mutual UFO network chapter of Michigan. And... When you think about it, not that many people are familiar with MUFON, but still there are enough people that find us that we manage to get a couple hundred sightings. <clears throat> and what you see is, you know, it's absolutely true. Like in the case of the 1966 event where 89 witnesses saw a UFO land on the ball field at Hillsdale College. Ann Arbor? It, um, well, Hills, Hillsdale is a little bit south of Ann Arbor. Oh, okay. But the, My mom saw that. Oh, wow. She didn't go there, but she was visiting. She, but anyway, go on. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's Back what we want to hear day. about. Yeah. So when, uh, that's that's fascinating. Was she there the night and saw that? As I recall, yeah, she was, uh, she went to Aquinas. She was there visiting some friends. I don't recall why. Mm -hmm. um, she was probably, she was born in 48, so do the math. So she was, you know, a college kid. And um, growing up, I was into UFOs and we were talking. And, she, and I think I had that in a book. I think it was one of those mysteries that I know in books from the time life and the TV my mm -hmm. dad had gotten those. And, she said, I, she, we saw pictures, black and white, of college kids pointing out their windows. And she says, yeah, I, was, I remember that, seeing that. And I don't remember what she said. I just, that's the only time I've ever talked about UFOs. Hmm. So, um, yeah, that was interesting, yeah. Mm -hmm. so I was like, oh. Yeah, I was wondering if she's noticed any colors. but I, If she did, I don't recall, and she's been deceased. So, you know what I mean? I just remember as a kid, yeah. you know, I was about nine years old, and she was telling me about this. I thought that was pretty cool. But at that age, I was much more interested in, like, the abductions and the men in black and the the lights in the sky weren't that the, fast. The you know black I mean? helicopters. Yeah, and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Uh, we got the man here to answer the question, Ryan. Uh, mm -hmm. Is there a conspiracy? Are the people, are the government keeping things from us that they don't want us to know? Um, <clears throat> yeah, sure, yeah, okay. of course. Okay. <laughs> I mean, all right, I mean, now we know. <laughs> in, a, in a very simple way, to, to put it, is the government keeps information it knows about all topics. From people, even budget things. So, I mean, if oh, they're yeah. gonna if, if they're going to keep uh, information on the budget secret from the people, you know, there it's not going to be like, yeah, well, let's keep the the budget secret, but we'll tell them about the flying saucers. You know, so I, I mean, if they know anything, what they know, and they do know things, then 
certainly they're not going to come out and tell us. And, of course, the big reason is, you know, what would they say? There's uh, technology um, being piloted by somebody not of this world that's regularly uh, happening in our skies. There's nothing we can do about it. They're much more powerful than us. We're just happy that uh, they haven't uh, done anything really bad to us yet. Yeah, we, yeah. Just, we just thought you should know. Now, in your presentation, you talked about misinformation, how they're, we're getting reports that aren't true at all. They're just making stuff up to kind of cover the story. Well, if you're referring to Project Blue Book, one of the ways that uh, Blue Book, whose really the main mission was to dismiss UFO sightings, the way that they would often do it was, would be to leave out large chunks of information. I know somebody who has a, a, a sighting report that they reported to, to Blue Book, and um, he had witnessed a UFO in a park, um, and he had there was a phone post somewhere where he was able to call the park ranger. Park ranger came and also witnessed a UFO, but in the report they left out the park ranger altogether, and uh, uh, played up the beginning of it where he said he was drinking around the campfire. So man, yeah. man, drinking around campfire sees strange light, but yeah. you know, and there's there's pretty much your whole report. But they leave out the part that the park ranger showed up sober, obviously on duty, credible, respectable, and goes on record to say they they've seen something. But that guy can gets completely edited out of the story altogether. Right, or swamp gas. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, these these police are doing reports. And they're they're on record. And you mm -hmm. had some that you showed us last night, reports mm -hmm. that police made out. Yeah, th it isn't just people that are drinking around the campfire that are <laughs> seeing these things. Yeah. Police are chasing them down the road. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's what I say. I mean, there's more proof for this area. This is such a big piece of the puzzle. You know, that's what Brandon wanted to do. He wanted to bring uh, people together that have different areas that they specialize in. And, get a better picture of this whole thing, this whole paranormal picture. And you bring a really big part of it. What about Guardian? I want to, I, I kind of uh, brought that up in a message to you. Guardian, if that meant anything to you um, out of Canada. Uh, maybe not. I don't remember seeing a message. Uh, sorry about that. Guardian. U-F-F-O-R uh, or F-U-F-O-R. The Anchor. Fund for UFO research. Right. Is that a competition for you? No. What uh, what FUFAR is actually is there are three groups. There's uh, um, MUFON, KUFOS, and was it New Fork was the other group? Because whoever it is uh, doesn't seem like they're... Um, I don't remember reading as much of, of input besides... MUFON and the Center for UFO Studies, but I'm not even sure if that's still in existence anymore. Yeah, I'm not sure. I thought the, the yeah, they were trying to raise money to, to funds mm -hmm. to uh, educate people, I think, in the area. Yeah, I'm not even sure if they're around either. That's why I wanted to ask you about it. I, I actually haven't heard that name brought up in quite some time. I remember in the 90s when I got involved, uh, that being mentioned quite a bit. So basically, it's essentially a, a, was a way to, to fundraise to, to look into the UFO phenomenon right. and bring different UFO groups together. But I, I haven't heard that mentioned. How in so are long. you guys funded? Well, we're a 501c3. Um, the international organization is, as well as the state chapters. And uh, donations are certainly accepted. And then there are membership fees. And membership fees allow certain perks, like the ability to be a field investigator. And so people can join MUFON, uh, receive field UFO field investigator training, and then based upon whatever state they're in, the chief investigator from that state will assign cases to the individual to be able to go in and look at UFO sightings themselves. But some people ask, you know, how much money do you make as a UFO investigator? And the real question is, how much money do you put in right. for the joy of investigating UFOs? Right. Because, yeah, I, I spend easily more than anything that I'm able to make here right. or there from anything. Now, yeah. I would think that going to these sites is probably the field investigator. That's where the fun is, mm -hmm. talking to these people. Mm -hmm. You said, like in the incident in 1994, 
you weren't qualified yet, I guess, for that one, right? Yeah, I joined in 93, and I hadn't completed my field investigator training. And still at that time, I was in my early 20s in college, and I just, I'm on the east, I grew up on the eastern side of the state, just north of Detroit. And for me to have the time and money to go to the west side of the state with any regularity in the reliability of the vehicle that I had at the time yeah. um, wasn't going to happen. But uh, there were a, certainly a lot of qualified people that I enjoyed hearing about their investigations. Now, your favorite sighting was one over Ann Arbor. <clears throat> That's what you were telling us last night. Maybe you want <coughs> to show or talk about that a little bit. The, well, the one that I investigated? Yeah, El Ann Arbor, you said that was... It was, yeah, this one was in Highland uh, Township. Um, it's a little ways from Ann Arbor, but still on the eastern side of the state, a little bit north of Ann Arbor, for one thing. And uh, there, a gentleman um, saw a giant triangle one night uh, while he was driving home on a, a rural road. And then the next day, um, at home, um, he witnesses a car-shaped... The, for lack of a better term, UFO, no wheels or anything like that, land in his backyard for an hour. And during the middle of the night, in between that, uh, people were seeing all sorts of crazy lights in the local area by the Detroit Metro Airport that weren't uh, aircraft. And when he saw this thing in his backyard, and it was there for an hour, you know, you ask him the basic questions, did you take a picture of it? And he's like, well, I didn't want it to think it. I had a weapon. Because after he said it was there for a few minutes, I got the impression that it wasn't able to lift off for whatever reason. It might have been stuck somehow. And so he didn't want to do anything that appeared threatening. And then, you know, the other question is, did you call anybody? He's like, no, you know, again, I didn't want to make it think I was calling for backup. And so what he just did was he sat there for an hour and watched... Um, this thing sit there and after an hour it levitated up and flew out through the trees it was all black had three red portholes on it <coughs> and then like i said it just levitated up after an hour and flew out through the trees and when he reported the sighting to us it was six months after it had happened right so he saw it in september we went out there in march and when we went out there in march his whole backyard is covered in snow and we couldn't see where mm -hmm. any sort of landing depression was and he said he could see beings inside of mm -hmm. him. Oh, my God. He could see beings, little creatures walking around in there. He just sat and watched it like he's watching a TV program. I think and, I would have taken mm -hmm. the risk of taking a photo. I don't know. Yeah, he could have risked it. Right. He couldn't make out the exact um, appearance of what was inside. He said there was, a, it looked like some sort of thick fog inside and a red light. And it looked like, uh, like small thin people walking around the side but he's like you know i mean the thing was only about the height of a car so how tall could these things be if they were walking around and in, inside it seems like red white and blue and green are the colors that people are seeing uh, it seems to be common to, mm -hmm. uh, that's being reported on these spaceships or ufos sure um, you get all sorts of colors and i don't know that the colors are meaningful Maybe they are. Maybe they. Maybe the the color communicates something to the other UFO pilots. Could be. All right. Well. But why? Why would you have like three different identical shapes, but each of them be a different color? I'm not sure. Hmm. I mean, this this field is full of all sorts of little mysteries like that, including the mystery of, of why are they lit at all? I mean, if they're they probably don't need to have these lights right? because when they have these lights, people see them. If they didn't have these lights on, people wouldn't see them. Right, if they want to be stealth, so they turn their lights off. Makes you wonder, are they well, trying to be they seen? invisible? Mm -hmm. You know. And, they, and there are certain cases where UFOs do cloak. Right. Um, another one of the presentations that I do along with one that's UFOs throughout Michigan history is one where it covers best new cases. And there are several um, instances where UFOs vanish before people's eyes. Right. Not in such a way where they zip off really fast, but you can see them disappearing. That's interesting. I have a question for you. Um, I had seen a map, and it had outlined what counties in the state of Michigan had the most activity <clears throat> for UFO sightings and so forth. And ironically enough, Ottawa County was in the red which mm -hmm. meant that it had 
the most activity, mostly on the west side of the state. Is that still true? The book I was researching was a little bit on the older side, so I was wondering if Ottawa County specifically is still a hot spot. Well, it's like this. Uh, with MUFON and the, the database that we have where people can report UFOs from wherever they live, mm -hmm. whatever happens when you ask it to give you the last 100 sightings, um, or you could say 50 or whatever, I mean, but uh, 100 is the max that you can go out to, it always pulls up a population map. Okay. So the most sightings you see are in the Detroit area, sure. followed by the Grand Rapids area, and then throughout the state, other pockets where you have larger towns. So it's towns not really cities. a true representation because it more tracks population versus true sightings. Because the sightings are going to be more prevalent in places that have bigger yeah, populations. Yeah, more right? eyeballs on it. That doesn't mean that's, that's more there, there's the, more eyeballs that's, on it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. So the deal, the deal is what this, always, and it will do it every single time. Mm -hmm. So what this seems to say is that UFOs are everywhere, mm -hmm. and wherever there are more people, you have more sightings. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. And, and there isn't a special time of year either where there's a big jump. Around the 4th of July, we get maybe a couple more sightings. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> but, but, but beyond that, it's fairly steady all year no and, and everywhere. Any state where you say, hey, give me the last 100 sightings, if you just want to know where the big cities are in that particular state, that's one way to do it. Right. Yeah, right. I can see that as being more of a potential. There's more people and more eyes on it. But like over Lake Michigan, you can see forever, too. Yeah. Right. So that kind of increases your chances of seeing it. And something you said uh, last night in the presentation, I thought that, and in my research, it was the northern states, like Maine, state of Washington, that there was actually more activity there. But I think last night you said it's all over the all over the U.S. Mm -hmm. world, I guess, all over the world. Yeah, I, I don't think it's confined in any respect. I think they're all over the place, all the time. So yeah, I, I don't really think that there's Hotspots. There are certainly moments in time where, like um, the 300 sightings that happened here in 1994, some something <laughs> made all those sightings happen um, in a very short period of time. But then they went away and things normalized again. And you have other things like Stephenville and Phoenix Lights, and you know just other little areas where suddenly there's a spike and then it goes back to what it was before. What these spikes represent is a mystery in and of itself. And something I, I had questioned about last night is about how they seem to come in waves and, and it, there's like a wave, there's a, there's a bunch of people seeing it and it might happen for two or three days where there's a lot of sightings in that area. There's a wave of sightings and then all of a sudden then it's a different area but there's another hundreds of people another wave so to me that substantiates it and, and it's proof that there's something in that area at the time mm -hmm. yeah. just like it's right in the math you know yeah and then sometimes you have the uh, witness tell you this really remarkable story and they're really credible and when you listen to them you're like oh my gosh we're gonna get this tidal wave of people reporting um, <clears throat> these sightings and then you don't. Uh, the, in this particular case, this is one of my, I guess you could say, favorites too. Uh, a man and his wife were carpooling together to work in the morning, driving up US 23 on the east side of the state, and they see this glint up ahead. Something, the sun is reflecting off something. As they get closer, they see it's a solid object, and then they notice it's pyramid-shaped, and then it's this gleaming pyramid that when they get close to it is taking up both the north and south lanes of traffic just hovering there above the expressway and so they get and they pull over and there's several people pulled over with them just watching this giant like <clears throat> shiny surfaced uh, pyramid that actually they said had uh, he said had hieroglyphics on it and, and, and that just seems absolutely bizarre, right? So a, a, a crazy thing about this case is that he called and left a voicemail, pretty much described the whole case. And then I switched cell phones 
And I forgot to, I thought I had forgotten to back up his message. And I'm like, oh no, I lost that guy's message and the phone number to, to call him back. But this was back in 1997. And so, but it turned out I did actually save his voicemail. I didn't realize it. And then, so I listened to his voicemail again and then I called him and he, and I had called him like maybe six months after he called me, it was a while. And he described the sighting exactly as he did in the voicemail which to me is a very good sign that he wasn't just making stuff right. up. Right. He remembered exactly right. the same detail for detail. Yeah, story then, didn't change. And But yet nobody else reported the thing. Oh yeah, and how did it disappear? He said that it was there for a while, perfectly still, and then it. he said it jerked a little bit, like it moved just slightly, and everybody freaked out, and they were ducking behind cars and everything. And then it said, he said it started to spin and then it spun and flew off while it was spinning. And then two fighter jets came in shortly after. But the thing had already shot off up into the air. Right. Do you think the fighter jets were honing in on yeah. the UFO? They were, okay. And that's fairly regular, too. Okay. We get a lot of reports like that, actually. I know something that these guys know about, and I asked you about it again last night, is the Paulding lights mm -hmm. in the Upper Peninsula, and whether that was a UFO. And you said absolutely. I don't think so. Um, one of our uh, invest uh, members that's uh, on our scientific board for MUFON, uh, Dr. Charles Leitzel, he had done a lot of studies of the lights, and he believes that it's traffic lights bouncing off electrical wires. Yeah, that's what you're saying. I haven't seen the lights myself, so yeah. to know that that whether I've seen the sounds, northern lights, and they're impressive, yeah. and that could fool somebody. When the sky's lighting up in different oh, yeah. colors. Yeah. Now, crop circles. I know you didn't talk about it last night. It's not in your book. Yeah, it's a real basic question, but uh, are they real? Yeah, um, William C. Levengood, uh, one of the pioneers of crop circle research, lived here in Michigan in Grass Lake, and he was the one that had um, put out the sort of proof of an actual anomalous crop circle rather than just somebody going with a board and there's hoaxes the, we know uh, there's yeah. hoaxes so the, he um he's, he pointed to that there is some sort of radiation involved that uh, blows out the nodes on the crops like as if there's this they were microwaved and with that effect he said that uh, that's what you want to look for to determine if it's an authentic crop circle and the ones that have this effect aren't necessarily the pretty ones, and often they aren't. You know, the real works of art that are out there, you know, those are right. artists doing those. Right. Yeah, because they are <coughs> really artistic. Guess what? We're getting real close to an hour already. Wow, yeah. it seems like I've only been here like three minutes <laughs> with you. So um, we, this is where we go into the final thought. So if you guys have anything that you didn't, get out that you want to or you've got some upcoming events you want to plug well, let's do that now okay well I can start um, I, I talked in the last podcast that we have a 5k coming up for Make-A-Wish Foundation if you are interested in any of our events uh, the easiest thing to do is to go to Facebook under Tulip City Ghostbusters go under the events page see where we're going to be at, time, date, location, what we'll be doing, and um, we hope to see you there. Thank you. I just want to say, yeah, check out for more content, uh, paranormal content, check out my YouTube page, Brandon Jose, that's H-O-E-Z-E-E, -E, Paranormal. And uh, also check out the Kent County Paranormal Facebook and YouTube pages. And if you got a problem with the ghost, mm -hmm. don't be afraid to get a hold of Brandon. He's yep. got different you ways. You can email me at kentcountyparanormal at hotmail.com. Um, you can also find our ghost line number on our Facebook page. Ryan, any last thoughts? Um, not really about UFOs, but I just want to say I thought that was a really cool Jeep in the parking lot. <laughs> uh, I took a picture to send to my wife. I think our six-year-old's going to get a big kick out of it. He's a huge Ghostbusters guy. So. Well, you better, yeah. you better let me know when his birthday's coming up. We might have to do a little road trip. Yeah, it's uh, in December. December oh, there 2nd. we go. The time to get away. Yeah, he just adores Slimer and Steve Puffton. <laughs> Slimer, yeah. I just saw that. Thought, oh, my God, that's so cool. So. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Ryan's talking about Kim Colleen's Jeep. Yeah. Her Ghostbuster Yeah, Jeep. It's, it's actually called the Ecto-1J. Okay. So okay. check out the uh, license plate. Okay. Yeah. My final thought, 
besides the thanks to uh, WKTV, and you can check them out on the journal, WKTV Journal, if you just want to listen to it. If you want to watch it, go to WKTV Facebook and type in the Whole Picture Podcast. I prefer watching it, but if you're driving in your car, you just want to listen to it, go to the journal, and you can listen to it. In William Konkoleski's book right here, Experiencer Raised in Two Worlds, at the end of it, he has an old proverb. I think it's an old Chinese proverb. I think maybe Confucius said it. I'm not sure about that. You don't say that in the book. but And it goes, the person who says that something cannot be done should not interrupt the person who is doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a wise statement. And I kind I wanted to parallel that with some other statements. And so out of the Bible, it says, those who are not for us are against us. And then Eldridge Cleaver said, there is no neutrality in the world. You either have to be part of the solution or you're going to be part of the problem. And then we've condensed that and misquoted it through the years <laughs> to you are either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. Mm-hmm. So to everybody out there, be part of the solution. If you see something, don't wait six months. Don't just sit there and, mm-hmm. and observe it. Get a hold of MUFON. Get a hold of Bill and get it reported. He's got a system set up so you can go online and you're trying to make it simpler for people so they're not hassled by pages, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And then you have some stuff coming up too, so your final thoughts? Um, yeah, I'm always doing library talks all over the place. Um, I post most of them on Facebook, so if uh, you friend me, you can keep up with some of the appearances I do. One big thing that I'm a part of in our local MUFON chapter is we're partnering with another group of uh, paranormal investigators uh, for a conference that's going to be in Houghton Lake on September 20th and 21st. It's called Michigan UFO Contact 2. Um, I was at the last one uh, last year and it was a great time. It's a beautiful hotel on Lakefront and the speakers are great. We're going to have Nick Redfern, Mike Barra, Ryan Sprague, a number of other presenters this year. It's Friday night uh, kicks things off and in. It's all day Saturday. Yeah, that sounds like fun. I first heard about you <laughs> at the same time I met Kim yep. when we were over at the Ghost Coast uh, Paranormal Convention. Grand Haven. Mm-hmm. Grand Haven last year. Yep. So if you people get a chance to go to those things, by all means, uh, rub elbows with these people. The stories are fascinating. And one other thing about this book, it's a true story. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, none of it's fabricated. So buy the book, and you got another book coming out too. You want to plug that? Um, I don't. You mean the the sequel to this? Right. Well, the sequel's already written, but I can't really release it right now. Um, I'm married. I have a nine year old daughter. I have a six year old son, and it's the last thing I want to do is put out a book about a time in my life, which was age twenty to twenty five, where. All of my UFO stories involve some ex-girlfriend or another. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, dear. Hey, kids. Check this out. My new book. Look what Daddy wrote. (laughs) Women I used to date. And the weird things that happened. Oh, no. (laughs) So this book was revealing. That book, uh, I don't know. It's tabled right now. Too revealing. Yeah. um, I, I did a presentation on it, on the material that's covered in that book at uh, the Experiencer Speak conference in 2014. So if you look my name up on YouTube, there's a good chance you'll stumble across uh, the content from that, um, from what would be in that book. I would say uh, uh, definitely read this book. It's what happened to me up to age 20. The reason I put it together is there have been a lot of books from people saying, oh, you know, this is how you should handle children who have these experiences or what this is like, but they weren't books actually outlining point by point, step by step, year by year, what it's like to actually grow up raised in two worlds. Right. It's not as easy as you might think. You know, I talked about some of the adjectives uh, that Bill went through, you know, the terrifying invasiveness and the the nasty mantis creature. You know, I'm sure you, it was foreboding and it was, it was tough growing up like that, I think, with that information. And then your friends helped you out along the way. Some of them were understanding, and some of them actually shared some of the experiences with you. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, these aren't all things that I went through by myself. There have been other people, and yeah, some other things that happened in my early 20s, really out there, but involving multiple other people besides myself to, mm. to back it up. Did you keep a journal as a, a younger person to say, I want to document this, so you know, 10 years from now, I want to remember exactly what happened to me and say, I can go back when I was, like you say, uh, four years old mm -hmm. and you had a play date. Mm -hmm. um, how can, I can't remember what I did when I was four years old. In my, in my I, teens, I, I sometimes would take a single sheet of paper, not like a notebook or whatever, mm -hmm. and, and scribble down thoughts. The early stuff, you know, when I was two, I couldn't. <laughs> Right, obviously. Well, that's so four, true. Well, but, four, uh, yeah. you, you mean you can't write it but, four either. But in but my the, teens, I did go back and say, here are some of the things that I okay. remember happened to me when I was younger. Okay. Because even, I'm sure, seven, you claim to have a physical exam. Um, mm -hmm. Is that correct? Right. At about age seven? Yeah, that was when the thing uh, cut my arm and that's then right. changed its eye color on me. I mean, I have a little boy who's age six. I mm -hmm. mean, he couldn't write down and explain that I mean so you had to really remember these memories had to be really etched in your brain mm -hmm. well you know? I think an important point is oh, you, went through a <laughs> yeah. hip, you went through hypnotic and, recall and I had that as well and if anybody wonders uh, whether hypnotic regression is actually helpful I try to go into as much detail in the book of why it is a helpful tool and not something that leads to confabulation and uh, um, especially about my experience at age two. Right. The, um, I would say if you can, pick up the book and go through it. It's the best support I have of that there's something to yeah. hypnotic regression. Okay. I've also done other things. I've done the um, Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Index that shows that I'm not fantasy prone. I spent three nights at a hospital in Detroit where they tested me to see if um, I was prone to some sort of weird hypnagogic or hypnopompic uh, hallucination well, or whatever. A sleep study, right? Yeah, it was a sleep study wow. for that. And what was funny is that they had a control group in the study, people who said they'd had nothing, nothing happen to them, and then they had an experiencer group. So I don't know how many experiencers they had. Hmm. I never got to meet any of the other ones or even hear much about them. But at the end of the study, they said that I kind of blew their study because they said I had a better sleep pattern than anybody in either the experiencer group or the control group so wow. <laughs> even with all that was going on with me hmm. well thank you so much for yeah. being thank here you. we really appreciate See, it I, I would go back to five years old when my grandfather was a ghost hunter and he coached me on hmm. and like most five years year olds are told there's no such thing as ghosts mm -hmm. and I was being taught how to communicate with spirits so what is the right age I'm not sure and um, but you, you talked to your parents about it, I think, at a young age, and they, they were supportive with you. And so if your kids are out there and they're seeing things, whether it's ghosts or UFOs, you know, pay attention to them. And mm -hmm. Don't sit on that information. Get a hold of Bill, and he'll do something with it. He'll come out and investigate. Or somebody might, depending Some, on the, the you know, situation. Do you still field investigator, or are you too busy? Um, most of my time is spent doing other stuff, um, and it would take a long time to bore you properly enough with everything that is part of my actual duties sure. now, but I do take on um, an investigation every once in a while. Usually it's an abduction scenario um, in a situation where it's not enough that somebody's just sympathetic to the witness, but they need to be empathetic. Sure. Oh, yeah, empathy. That's a big thing in ghost hunting, too. Empathy. If you can't show empathy, you're not going to be a good ghost hunter, without a doubt. So buy Bill's book. Thanks. By all means, if the price is right in the information, the way he lays it out, it's easy to follow. I strongly recommend it. Support your local authors, your Michigan authors, Grand Rapids, this whole area. Um, we have a podcast coming up. We're going to be do 888 I guess there is a significance <laughs> to that. I asked a psychic medium about that. I didn't have to ask him. He volunteered the information. Wow. I figured it had some kind of meaning, meaning, and it was like abundance and positivity. So that's our next podcast. I don't know if I should give dates because I don't know if these things are going to get put in a can and maybe showed at a different time or whatever. Mm -hmm. but, so and then we have eight, 
well, I'm not going to give a date. We have Afterlife Road Paranormal, which is Brandon's contact that's coming in. These guys from Michigan State, these kids are doing films. Bill, if you ever get a chance, uh, check them out. Hmm. I mean, I don't know how interested you are in ghosts, but they're doing it right. Um, it's, a, it's a Blair Witch style. Brandon says it's a lot better than what hmm. Blair What's Witch called? It's, it's a professional, much more professional production than okay. Afterlife Road Afterlife Paranormal. Road. Yeah. And that's what they they that's specialize. That's their YouTube channel. Yeah, they do okay. YouTube uh, videos, and that's what they specialize in. And they're they're showing respect to the dead, so they're doing it right, and they're coming in. They're actually a bunch of kids. I can say that because I have grandkids that are older than these guys. So they're coming in. I'm looking forward to that. This was a, go ahead and give them the dates. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, the next one I can say is eight eight eight. And then the I one following August eight at eight o'clock p.m. Yeah, that's August eight. That's when we're recording it. But that's, that's when we're recording it. But we don't live record, so. Gene usually gets it out within a couple of days, if not sooner. And then uh, eight fifth eight fifteen will be Afterlife Road. Now our calendar is pretty much wide open after that. And Bill, if you're ever in the area and you want to <laughs> come back, because I know you could talk for four hours, and still not run out of information. We talked a little bit about UFOs over in Michigan, but you've got the, another whole chapter of presentations that you do that's the new stuff that's happening. Mm -hmm. All right, what do you, what's the title of that one again? Um, best New UFO Cases. Sometimes the libraries will change the name of it, <coughs> which I'm fine with, but that's what I call it when I pitch it to them. Okay. Yeah, go to your library and tell them, I right. want a presentation on UFOs. And then I will. Cause, mm -hmm. <laughs> Will you come to Zealand <laughs> or Holland? Sure. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I forget where it is I'm speaking in October, but it is along the coast of Lake Michigan. Oh. It's east of Grand Rapids. I know that much, but I forget where now, it is. Now, where can yeah. people find your events? Like if I wanted to come see you and you're going to be close to my home, where, where would I start? Uh, again, I, I tend to post that on Facebook. Sometimes okay. you'll uh, be able to find some things on the Michigan MUFON website as well. Okay. Which is M-I-M-U-F-O-N, M-I for Michigan, MUFON, so M-I-M-U-F-O-N.org. Okay. That's where the events are going to be posted. Um, I, I would check there. Okay. And then if, uh, like I said, check Facebook too. Okay. Under your personal name? Yep. Okay. Gotcha. Don't be afraid that people are going to say you're crazy. <laughs> um, you re report these things, you know, I guess that's our message uh, tonight, mostly, or today, this afternoon, actually, but report those things. Uh, don't be afraid. Um, it, it's happening all over the place, all over the world, so you're just one of many. Yep. So that's it. Peace out.